Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Check it. Talk cheese. Recorded live. Well, hello, this is Michael Adams, and it's nothing but the truthful man's journey to find it. And uh, we're going to do part three of lap, Washington in the Lap of Rome. Uh, Trying to think what to do here first. Maybe we'll look at the, some of the headlines on Yahoo.com. Uh, there's a lot of fluff right now. Lindsay Lohan wears a completely inappropriate dress during community service work. Imagine that. Uh, <laughs> I guess she made some some guys' days, I'm sure. Um, There's a lot of fluff about actresses and what they're wearing. Uh, Pope Francis extends agenda of of change to Vatican diplomacy by Gavin Jones and James McKenzie, Rome Reuters. Pope Francis hard-hitting criticism of globalization and inequality long ago set him out as... Maybe we'll go back to that. Uh, <clears throat> Al Sharpton's daughter sues City for $5 million after spraining ankle. Imagine that. And by the way, did you know that Al Franken, or Al Sharpton is actually... It's been for uh, 30, 40 years, if not longer, a uh, FBI uh, agent... <laughs> <laughs> undercover agent and he's what a snake that man is if you want to learn more about him Opperman Opper, report Ed Opperman he, he, he did a good ex, expose on Elf Sharpton and who he really is and he set up a lot of people done a lot of damage to people made a lot of money out of it too Pope canonized two saints from the 19th century Palestine Vatican AP Pope Francis canonized two nuns from what was 19th century Palestine on Sunday in hope of encouraging Christians across the Middle East who are facing a wave of persecution from Islam. <laughs> uh, that doesn't make any sense. That's the most irrational argument I ever heard. Canonizing two nuns? How is that in any way going to make people of Islamic faith thrilled about that? Oh, we'll stop killing people though because you canonize two of your nuns. Totally irrational. And I guess, you know, we'll go back to this one because it's kind of just, uh, I want to see about this. We know that the papacy, the Vatican, is first and foremost a political organization that pretends to be a religious organization, or at least has a religious front. It's first and foremost interest. You know, it is an independent uh, nation-state. 
and therefore a politics obviously are what they're most what is most important to them. Pope Francis' hard-hitting criticism of globalization and inequality long ago set him out as a leader unafraid of mixing theology and politics. Imagine that. That took a lot of courage on his part, don't you think? Not. That's what he is in the first place. The number one politician has always been the Pope. And that doesn't mean he's actually running the show. He's just a number one politician. Think of it just as like Obama. A puppet, a scapegoat, <clears throat> for us to vent our anger at, when in reality, they don't really run the show. They're just a public figure, a public figure demonstrating political theater. But we'll go on with this. Last year, he helped to broker the historic accord between Cuba and the United States after a half a century of hostilities, and of course, we know that we live in a Roman Catholic Jesuit-run country, in particular when it comes to politics, the schooling system, and uh, banking, and war. Therefore, we know that they con- concived or uh, concocted this whole hostility thing. And now it's time to end it because it no longer serves its purpose. At any time, there truly was some serious... Um, Hostilities, including the Bay of Pigs, I would argue, which was the closest thing to uh, any kind of hostility that we ever had, really. Um, and remember, we live in the United States of America, and they're Cuba. We could squash them like an ant with the military that we have in about a day. So you have to ask yourself a question, why that never happened? And we look at Cuba. Well, Cuba is a Roman Catholic country. That's why. And that is the plain, simple truth of how politics works. Politics, governments are simply a tool, an asset for um, the ruling elite and the priestcraft to exploit the situation. It's a tool. And politicians are simply their tools. Okay. This past week, his office announced the first formal accord between the Vatican and the state of Palestine. Well, we're going to start seeing, folks, is uh, the, the great white pope riding on his donkey to save the day. Another theater, if you will, a political scheme theater that they concocted, once again, to make the Pope, the papacy, the Roman Catholic Church, the darlings of the world, the saviors of the world, to replace our true Savior, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But we have to keep on talking about this, and when this is just my round, uh, now it's been hundreds and hundreds of years of gentlemen being willing to speak the truth, and we will go back in, back to 1888 in a little bit, and reading this book uh, in the lap, Washington, the lap of Rome, basically saying the same thing. 
<laughs> Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed at all. In fact, what's interesting, you know, in our trying to figure out things and uh, say other folks that have been with me on the show, and that it's just now that they're taking over the country. Well, it's, once you listen to this book and read it, you realize, no, they took this over this country a long, long time ago. We just been so dumbed down, thanks to the public school system, and as uh, what Keith Hansen would say, the public fool system. We have no idea how the world really works. You know, it's kind of interesting. I, for the first time in a long time, we went to a social gathering with my friends. Uh, very impressive young gal. Um, nothing between us. I guess it could be, but I just don't want that. I just want to raise my son to do this. So I don't really want to be in a relationship. So, But I, I did go to their graduation party, college, and university, you know, and uh, talking there to people. And, uh, of course, the way I'm talking now is the way I talk with everybody. And, um, boy, I had an opportunity to be called crazy, a madman, uh, conspiracy, conspiracies, um, nuts. It's interesting, though. I mean, they love they love listening to me. They said, I never heard half the things you've said before. Um, but you said, you know, basically you sound like a nut. And I said, I know. I know what you're saying. There was a time when I thought the same of others before me who said this stuff until I actually did my homework started doing some research and started realizing, well, gosh darn it, it really is the case. As much as I don't want even to believe it, and I, for a long time, didn't want to believe it, um, religion is a big part of our lives, and one in particular is the papacy, the unholy Roman church, the mystery Babylon. So, unfortunately, it's still there. Nothing's changed at all. And then also I had a chance to talk to a uh, a person, you know, there's a couple there, one was wearing a sundial, you know what I'm talking about, you might think of a sundial that we know of that looks like the the steering, shi- steering wheel of a ship that you'll find in all these pagan temples in uh, India and etc. Even in the Middle East. And then the other one had the uh, the hand with the palm that normally has, like the Muslims, they have the eye in the middle of the, the palm. But this one had the quote-unquote Star of David, the hexagram, and we were talking about that. And I was explaining to them, oh, man, that one guy got so mad at me. And so I was telling him, I said, listen, it's not the Star of David. There is no, first, there's no such thing as Star of David. You know, the Star of David, you're, <laughs> what you're wearing is a very ancient occult and pagan symbol. It's a hexagram. Man, that man, he got mad. He says, half my relatives are Jewish. And I go, does that mean you read the Talmud? And he said, no, I don't read that. And I go, well, what do you mean, Jewish? Were you by blood or religion? Religion? And I said, oh, okay. What does that have to do with anything? Isn't it amazing what religion does to a man? We had adopt all these false symbols and idols and uh, we just say, you know what? This is truth. This is part of my religion. I'm going to put more value on this symbol 
than the truth. It is quite bizarre. This world really is really bizarre. And I guess, you know, I have to admit there was a time when I was that person too and still working out of it. But I see people now who are so entrapped in their idolatry and in their lies and their deceptions that you just like, I mean, they're willing to kill you over it. I mean, that guy was ready to kick my butt over the fact that I was actually just saying, listen, um, that's not the star David. <laughs> We're just having a conversation of this outrageous necklace. And, uh, you know, it's huge. It's about the size of my hand. And he's, <laughs> you know, that hand that with the, the Muslims use with the all-seeing in the middle of it, or the, with the quote-unquote Jews, they put the, it's supposed to be some kind of protective amulet. And I'm like, <laughs> good gracious, whatever happens? What, I, what happened to me and what happened to everybody else? I have no idea. Anyways, back to this. The uh, Pope ruffled even more feathers in Turkey last month by referring to the massacre of up to 1.5 millions of Armenians in the early 20th century as, quote, genocide, end quote, something akin to an... Kura denies something, and Kura denies whatever. Anyways, what's fascinating is that the, the noble and great man Francis is willing to to point out that uh, the Turkey practiced genocide, but won't talk about their own admit their their own genocide. And yet these people just think he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. I just don't understand. And after the inward-looking pontiff of his scholarly uh, uh, predecessor, Pope Benedict Francis, has in some ways returned to the active Vatican diplomacy practice by the globetrotting Pope John Paul II, widely credited for helping to end the Cold War. Not too difficult when you're the one actually created it, (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry it sounds so cynical about the whole thing, but really, the more you learn about stuff and then you read one of these headlines, it's just, they're just peppered with, um, as they say, yeah, it's just Jesuit causatory and sophistry, and it's true. Deception lies, but seems to be rational and logic truly is just basically twisting of facts. Okay, however, in an increasingly fractured geopolitical world, really, seems to me the complete opposite is going on at this point. It was much more fractured 100 years ago. Increasingly fractured. Well, I guess in all these, you know, GATT and everything else, all these treaties, all these trade agreements mean nothing. Insane. This, the, 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 uh, but it, it needs to be read, so I'm going to read it anyways. However, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so the global standoff between competing blocks that then that of a John Paul, the, Paul's 27 year long papacy. Did you know he was a pope for 27 years? That's a long time, wasn't it? That's most of my life. <clears throat> this is. 
reinforced by his status as the world's first pope from Latin America. Remember Latin America? What does Latin mean? These people don't speak Latin, so there's a reason why they call it Latin. Why they call it Latin? As Roman Catholic nations. Wow. By the way, Pope Francis' uh, parents came straight from Italy uh, during or right before or prior to the outbreak of World War II. And they had already had the heads up of what was going to happen. So they were sent to Argentina with a lot of many, with a lot of other folks, artifacts, eventually even a lot of uh, Nazis themselves, the leadership. Something to think about. Why would they go to the Western Hemisphere? Because they were Jesuitly trained Roman Catholics. And they went to their Roman Catholic countries. <laughs> you know, part of the Roman Empire. But of course, they would not send them somewhere else, now would they? <clears throat> okay. I had to do. do, 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 do. So yeah, so he's the first pope from Latin America, a region whose turbulent history, widespread poverty. Remember, these are Roman Catholic countries. This is what happens if you're under complete dominance of Rome. You will have a turbulent history. You will have widespread poverty and love-hate relationship with the United States has given him... Uh, an entirely different political grounding from any of his European predecessors. Now, that is a bunch of propaganda. I don't know what. Love-hate relationship with the United States. Quote, under this pope, the Vatican's foreign policy looks south, end quote. I wonder what that means. And then that's or Menaismo Franco, a prominent Italian political commentator and author of several books on the Vatican. Well, that, he should be a real reliable source of information. He said the, the Pope has been careful to avoid taking sides on issues like the Ukraine, where he has never defined Russia as an aggressor, that's because they're contriving it and working in, in unison over this. Remember, Moscow is Constantinople. Constantinople, after the Turks invaded and took over it, in that region, they transferred the capital of the eastern leg of the Roman Empire from Constantinople to Moscow. Moscow and Vatican and Italy have been working hand-in-hand hand for a long time. The Jesuits infiltrated Russia, at least since the 1900s, 19th century, excuse me, 18th, early 1800s, right? Even prior to that. In fact, it's interesting why they were infiltrating and taking over uh, in North, North America, the Spanish and the French and the British, as even British had Jesuits then. Um, 
they were also infiltrating in China. Isn't that interesting? So they were having quote-unquote missionary work here that caused the death of millions upon millions of Native Americans with a very old-time strategy. The strategy has been around for many, 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 many centuries. Biological warfare. They paved the way as they always tried to, to totally take over a country for the Roman Empire and all that they make it up and make up the Roman Empire, which is more than just religion. Yes, there's the bankers, there's the lawyers, the land speculators, the nobility, the military apparatus. Empires are much more than simply a religion or religions, or cults that they create. Anyways, the approach is intended to ensure he remains more credible with countries like Syria, Russia, and Cuba, all nations where Francis feels he can help local Christians best by steering an independent course. I want to explain something to you. This, no, it doesn't happen that way. Western Europe, in, in fact, we can say that even the Western Hemisphere was all part of Western civilization. You know, Western civilization, you probably heard that one, right? There's the Third World, and there's the Western World, the Western civilization, the Western Empire, the Western Roman Empire, the Western leg. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that who, and whenever anybody, any country tries to demonstrate a willingness, a desire, for independence, autonomy. They go in and beat the living snot out of them. Did you know that? After they're thoroughly infiltrated by the Jesuits, and I can name several countries right now that had happened. Vietnam, East Timor, and many of the countries in Africa too. It's a bunch of nonsense. Anyways, I've had enough to listen to this crop propaganda. Uh, if you want to listen to this Jesuit sophistry and casuistry, it is from um, the article. is called Pope Francis Extends Agenda of Change to Vatican Diplomacy by Gavin Jones and James McKenzie. Reuters, 16 hours ago. And oh boy, it's, it's you know the thing is if you really want to uh, uh, practice sharpen up your skills of what a Jesuit sophistry casuistry is, first of all look at the definitions of them, and then go into these articles and start the little bit of knowledge you have is history, start breaking their part, finding the inconsistencies, finding those things that seem to be logical, but are actually lies. And you go, wow, amazing. So anyways. And we'll we'll read a little quote from Spurgeon's. Spurgeongems.org. Man, unanimous and evil. And this is what Spurgeon has to say. It is amazing how unanimous bad men can be. It has always struck me as a very startling thing 
that you have never heard of any division among the devils in hell. There are no sects among the devils. They seem to work together with an awful unity, unanimity, unanimity, excuse me, uh, of purpose in their wicked design. In this, one thing, they seem to excel the family of God. Oh, that we are, that we were as hardy and united in the service of God as wicked men are in the service of Satan. 1892 Sermon 2254. So, all right, so now we're going to get going on this uh, chapter three of the Washington and Lap of Rome. Um, you can find this on James Japan's uh, website, uh, jamesjpn.net. And he has a lot of good books there. And let's see. Let's see what's up here. Uh, recording started. It, it is not me. People don't check things out. I don't know that. I, I didn't know that about Moscow. Uh, just look it up. <laughs> you find it. It's, it's quite common knowledge in history. So, I've had it on. I've read it now a couple times in several different uh, books. Um, on my show already. Yeah, it's been known for quite a while that the that the Constantinople was basically transferred to Moscow a long time ago. So after the Turks, <clears throat> the Ottoman Empire took over Constantinople. Let's think of logically. You know what? It had to be a headquarters in the Eastern Branch, right? Eastern Orthodox, Eastern Empire. It'd be somewhere. This is the reason why we hear about Moscow all the time. Moscow, Moscow, Moscow. Why was this a big deal? Why is it some other city? It's quite common knowledge I discovered. It wasn't common knowledge for you and I, because you and I never are told that. But then again, just like so many other things in life, right? How many times of us were told that? I mean, it wasn't until I met Walt Stickle from you know, granddesignexposed.com, that I had no idea that Washington, D.C.'s previous name was Rome, Maryland. There's an awful lot of things we don't know. An awful lot of things that we are clueless about. And now we're going to learn some more things that we're absolutely clueless about. This is, once again, Washington and the Lap of Rome. Chapter 3, Jesuitism that runs the Church of Rome. Now, one of the things that I've been hearing from many folks is that the Jesuits haven't quite yet taken over Rome and the Vatican. And from my research and studies from all these early, later books and discovering that the Jesuits actually did take over Rome in 1814, they had their council, and in the early 1820s, uh, uh, solidified it which then goes along with my theory that what happened in 1790-whatever, 7 or 98 or 9, whatever you want to say, that that was just a coup, a military coup, to kick out the old guard and put in the new guard, and the new guard is the Jesuits, and they've been around for a long, long time. And the problem is, once again, something else 
They didn't teach us in public school, the public school system. And, but yeah, it's right there, staring right there in front of our face. When we looked at the, last, the second chapter, it was about that, the new university they were making in Washington, D.C. So now let's find out about this. The Jesuits that run the Church of Rome. To write the history of Jesuitism is to give in detail the record of sanctified uh, scoundrelism. As with the face of a saint and the heart of a devil, it has li- lived and wrought in this world to do its worst against Christianity, Christianity, brotherly love, manhood, and righteousness. And it's fascinating. If you ever get a chance to research Jesuits, and I notice that a lot of folks don't do that, they research well, histor- histor- historical bits and pieces, but like I was talking with Ryan yesterday about uh, if you listen to James White's uh, debates with what's-his-face, Maxis or whatever. I can't think of his name right now, but he's a Jesuit. And you know what? They are very charming men. They're not is what you think. They, you know, when we study this stuff, you know, they're evil men. Don't get me wrong. It's just what he's saying here. The heart, a face of a saint and the heart of a devil. And that is a great explanation of a Jesuit. So you'll hang out with a Jesuit, you'll listen to a Jesuit, and you go, you know, the guy's really nice, he's a little confused, but he's a really nice guy. And actually, you know, Jason's really genuinely trying to figure things out and wants to do what's right. But inwardly, he has a different agenda. And what is that agenda? As he says here, to do, uh, to do it worst against Christianity, brotherly love, manhood, and righteousness. But to do its worst, that is so. This is an awful charge, but it is also an awful failure of language when the attempt is made to tell the truth concerning this monster of iniquity. Jesuitism proves that in human debasement, um, incarnate fiendishness and devilish capacity for being bad. Man in the 19th century is equal to any horrid character that may have figured on the historic page. That's a pretty bold statement, especially when you start thinking about people like Nero, Caesar, Herod, (laughs) and just goes on and on and on. Things haven't got better. They literally have gotten worse, but we live in such a cocoon, we don't see it yet. The origin of the Jesuits. A cannon shot hit the leg of a scoundrel instead of his head. As in Spain, he stood before, uh, here we go, uh, Pampile Unum's wall. For religion, Catholicity, and man, that was the unluckiest cannon shot recorded in history. <laughs> and that's true. Just, uh, you're now talking about, of course, uh, 
the creator of, of the Jesuit order, Ignatia, Ignatia Loyola. One wicked man. Okay. For when the tibia of the wounded patient healed, uh, patient knitted them marvelously supported the body of a man who, with the heart of a devil, has been permitted to masquerade in the robes of a saint. Those familiar with jail philosophy can well appreciate the impulse which drives the criminal, convicted of thieving and burglary or murder, and on the verge of the tomb, to indulge in fantasies or fancies of hunger, thieving, and cruel, or a crueler or more infamous murder, and to long for life or unshackled arms that he might become uh, preeminently notorious by its enactment. Enactment, excuse me. I'm having a hard time reading this. I might have to uh, either expand it. For some reason, my eyes are really bad today. Well, I was, <clears throat> I'll always try this again. So now, such as, uh, and now such a thought came over the brain of Ignatius Loyola, the founder of the order, profanely called of Jesus. He recovered and was successful. The Jesuit University is built in Washington as Conspiracy Hall in hopes that liberty might be throttled in its stronghold. Loyola took the name of Jesuits for his order because of pretended visions of God, the Father, who is claimed to have appeared visibly to him and desired his son, Jesus Christ, who stood by laden with a heavy cross, to take special care of him and his companions, which Christ promised to do. They are dangerous because they declare no uh, villainy, no treachery, no cruelty to be criminal, provided it tends to the benefit of their society, all in the name of their God. <clears throat> now, remember, this is from 1888. <clears throat> this is not from 2015 from a guy like Mike Adams or others. These are people that really knew what was going on before they were polluted by the public fool the public fool system and mass media like the television. In seventeen sixty two the King and Parliament of France were moved against the order, and to be satisfied as to the grounds of complaint against it, they appointed a commission consisting of five princes of the blood, four peers of France, and seven presidents of the court and 13 counselors 
of the Grand Chamber and 14 other functionaries. This commission examined 147 Jesuit authors of of celebrity. In their report, they say, quote, this uh, perversity of the doctrine maintains uh, consistently and without interruption by the priests, scholars, and others styling themselves of the Society of Jesus, who, or excuse me, would destroy the natural law, the rule of life, which God himself has written in the hearts or the heart of man, and as a natural result would break all the bonds of uh, civil society, authorized theft, perjury, impurity, and the most criminal and generally every passion and every crime by teaching secret compensation, equivocation, mental reservation, would uproot every feeling of humanity among men and by favoring homicide and uh, parricide, in fact, would overturn the principles and practices of religion and substitute in its stead all kinds of superstition. By favoring magic, blasphemy, irreligion, and idolatry. That's our country, isn't it? And if you look now at Latin America, that's definitely their country. Let's put it this way. Our country is bleeding their head really fast. It's just not there already. We're not quite as bad as these countries in Latin America, but we're getting there real fast. And this is the consequence of having the missionaries of Satan take over your country. But they have a nice smile. And I really like what they have to say. So what if they kill millions of people? It seem like they're really trying to do the right thing. They're nice guys, really. They're just confused. Who's confused? I'm starting to discover that we are the ones who've been confused all along. It hasn't been them. Clement the 14th in his bull, suppressing the order, declared that it has been uh, censored by Popes Urban the Twelfth, Clement the Tenth, Eleventh, and Twelfth, Alexander the Seventh and the Eighth, Innocent the Ninth, and the Twelfth, the Thirteenth. I really like these names, like Alexander, Innocent, Clement, Urban, Francis, Benedict. Uh, they like these names, don't they? They keep on recycling these names over and over again. There has to be a a reason for that. A reason that someday I'll figure out, I guess. And Benedict the Twelfth, and then uh, proceeds by saying, and if anybody says, well, they're named after uh, saints, okay, I don't buy that. I mean, they might be named after saints, but I don't believe that's the reason why they're doing that. There's some other reason, some sinister, dark magic reason that they use these names over and over again. Don't know what it is yet. Could be wrong. 
Well, I'm going to research it and we'll find out what that is. Because they keep recycling these names over and over again. And let's face it, there are thousands, tens of thousands of names out there to use. And they keep using a few, a couple dozen, three dozen names over and over again. And remember that this order has been around for a long time, not just the Jesuits, but the papacy in general. A long time. Quote, after a mature deliberation we do of our certain knowledge and fullness of our apostolic powers suppress and abolish the said society. We deprive it of all activity, whatever, of its houses, schools, colleges, hospitals, lands, and in short, of every place whatsoever, in whatever kingdom or providence they may be situated. We abrogate and annul its statutes, rules, customs, decrees, and constitutions, even through confirmed even though confirmed by oath and approved by the Holy See with an S or otherwise. <clears throat> the all C and I, all C We declare all and all kind of authority, the general, the provincial, the visitors, and other superiors of the said society to be forever annulled and extinguished of whatever nature soever the authority may be, as well in things spiritual and temporal. <clears throat> Just remember, this, this happened in 1762. What happened shortly after that? And those poor suckers in France. <clears throat> An awful lot of them died, didn't they? Be remembered that up to A.D. 1860, this order of persons had been expelled no less than 70 times from countries in which they had been living, applying their principles, and that these were almost all Roman Catholic countries. Yet they have a most popular church in Washington, a college in Georgetown, and remember, they got a popular church in Washington. They got a church there too, a church building that's extremely close to the nation's capital. And from what I've heard, it's actually of all buildings, it's actually the closest building to the nation's capital, a Romish church. Okay, so here we are. So we were talking about a church in Washington, D.C., then a college in Georgetown, and now are building a university with the continents of the representatives of the great republic in less than a quarter of the century after their assassination of... And drumroll, please... Remember, this book was written in 1888, Abraham Lincoln. Now we have another source, along with Chinnicky and others, verifying that the Jesuits were involved in the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. And actually, from my little bit of research that I've done about Abraham Lincoln's 
assassination, there was a strong correlation with him actually ending the war that caused him to lose his life down the road. I think he had enough of it. Finally had a conscience. Started to see the mayhem, the death that he was involved in. And he ended it. And that pissed off a lot of people. A lot of people. And I think he knew that was his death sentence. And I think after all the crud he went through life, I think that's the reason why that night he just went. I think he just felt bad. He was sick. Uh, the things that he had suffered in life, his family, and being involved in the in a genocide, if it's in an outright genocide of his own people, I think he had enough. I think he just said, this, this is it. The price I must pay to end the war will be my death. And that's what he did. He just said, this is it. I'll let him do it. He is forewarned, actually, before that night, not even to go. And he went out anyways. On his own apparently, or very minimal of uh, any kind of uh, bodyguards or protection. I think he just had enough. And I don't blame him. So behold, so let us learn how they trained men in infamous deeds. Behold them consecrating the dagger of the assassin of four, perhaps some men now under the van. Letters of Marcus, page 106. The following is the Jesuits' manner of consecrating both persons and weapons employed for the murdering of kings and princes by them accounted her- heretics. The, peop- the person whose silly reasons the Jesuits have overcome with their more potent arguments, is immediately conducted into their uh, sacrum, uh, sanctum, so sac, sanctum, 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 <laughs> I can't ever pronounce uh, Anyways, you can figure it out. Designed for prayer and meditation. There, the dagger is produced, carefully wrapped up, in a linen safeguard enclosed in an iron sheath engraven with several uh, enigmatical characters and accompanied by an Agnes die. Well, I don't know what that is. Agnes die. Certainly a most monstrous confutation so unadvisedly to entwine the height of murderous villainy and the most sacred emblem of meekness together. The dagger, unsheathed, is hypocritically bedowed with holy water. Bedewed. That's what it is, bedewed. Okay, so hypocritically bedewed with holy water, and the handle adorned 
with a certain number of uh, coral beads put into their hand, thereby assuring the credulous fool that as many effectual stabs as he gives the assassinated prince, so many souls he should redeem out of purgatory on his own account. Then they delivered the dagger into the homicide homicide's hand with a solemn uh, recommendation in these words. I just want you to think about what I read there. If you didn't understand, I'll bring it up again. So it says that after they stab their, or you, the person that they are killing, assassinating, it says here the assassin prince, it says, so many souls he should redeem out of the, pur- the purgatory on his own account. So then they delivered the dagger into the homicide's hand with a solemn recommendation in these words. Now we look at a lot of these quote-unquote suicides, people being suicided, and think about a little bit about the history of how Jesuits have operated, and ask yourself the simple question, how many of those people that we've heard of, famous people, have been accused of committing suicide over the years, how many of them were actually assassinated by Jesuits? Now, somebody asked me today at the party, said, aren't you worried about your life doing this stuff? I said, you know, one time, it worried me when I was learning about it, and I was learning about it online and started reading books and buying books, that I knew that, uh, you know, they track us. Somebody knows that I'm talking about this, but he said, as I've come to know the Lord, I put my faith in Jesus Christ, and the fear just kind of diminished. It's just like, actually, I have more fear now of not talking about it, if that makes any sense. He looked at me and said, you're crazy. <laughs> How many times was I called crazy today in that party? <clears throat> now I understand. Uh, when you talk to some of these folks who have been doing this stuff for a while, they just no longer want to socialize with people. They don't want to interact with people because... It's just a pain in the ass. Honestly, it is. I mean, it's. I sorry about the language, but you'll be here um, hearing it. It basically came up in my head because I'm looking right at a jaw, jawbone of an ass. So, it's, <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, you just get sick of it. Like people all think you're nuts, and then half the people that you deal with, and when it comes to this stuff, well, they. They think you're nuts too. So what the you just like? What the heck do you do? You gonna do this? It is a lonely walk. There's not much you can do about it. So here is this quote. So, in these words, quote: "Elected Son of God received the sword of Japheth, the sword of Samson, which was." the jawbone of an ass, the sword of David, wherewith he smote off the head of Goliath, the sword of Gideon, the sword of Judith, the sword of the Maccabees, the sword of Pope Julius II, wherewith he cut off the lives of several princes, his enemies, 
filling whole cities with slaughter and blood. Go forth prudently. Whenever I see that word prudent, prudently, it reminds me of Bush Sr. That wouldn't be prudent. How many people even use that word prudent? Who would use that word prudent unless they were Jesuitly trained? Certainly, if you had a public fool's education, what would be the odds of you using prudent? You don't use it, do you? Prudent. Prudently and courageously, and the Lord strengthens thy arm, end quote. Which being pronounced, they all fall upon their knees, and the superior of the Jesuit pronounces the following exorcism. <clears throat> Quote, Attend, O ye cherubim, descend in percent. O seraphim, you thrones, uh, you powers, you holy angels, come down and fill this blessed vessel with uh, the vessel, the parasid, parasite, with eternal glory, and daily offer to him. For it is but a small reward, the crown of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and all the holy patriarchs and martyrs. He is no more concerned among us. He is now of your uh, uh, celestial fraternity. And though, O oh God, most terrible and inaccessible, in, inaccessible, who yet has revealed to this instrument of thine and thy dedicated place of our prayer and meditation that such a prince to be cut off as a tyrant and a heretic and his dominion, dominions, supposed to be dominions, to be translated to another line, confirmed and strengthened. We beseech thee, this instrument of thine, whom we have consecrated and dedicated to that sacred time, that he may be able to accomplish thy will. Grant him the Habergion, Habergion, I don't even know what that is. It's one thing reading these older books, you find words that just aren't heard very, very often. Habergion, I have to figure that one out. Of thy divine omnipotency, that he may be enabled to escape the hands of his pursuers. Give him wings, that he may avoid the designs of all that lie in the wait. For his destruction, infuse into his soul the beams of thy consolation to uphold and sustain the weak palaces of his body, that uh, contem- uh, contemning of fear, contemning, there's another word, contem- contemning, uh, all fear, it's not contaming, it's contemning. Remember, it's supposed to be contaming, all fear. He may be allowed to show a cheerful and lively continence in the midst of the presence of torments or 
prolonged imprisonments, and that he may sing and rejoice with a more than ordinary exultation, whatever death he undergoes. End of quote. This exorcism being furnished, <laughs> or finished, give me, the parricide, I'll say to learn about. Hey, what the heck? I'm going to stop here for a little bit and let's, let's just find out what a couple of these words mean. You might already know if anybody listens to this, there's a good chance, but those who don't, like myself, might find words all the time and might think, what are they? So why go on any further? Let's just learn about it. Parasite. Parasite. The killing of a parent or others near relatives or other near relatives. A person who commits parasite. Maybe you knew about that. I'm sure I heard about it before, but you know the truth of the matter is, it's a word I don't use very often, nor do I think about as bad as I might have been treated by my father. Um, I never once ever thought about anything like that. So the, the act of killing one's father or mother or or other close relatives, a person who commits such an act, parasite. All right, so we learned about that word. So we actually learned something. And now let's go to the next thing. What in the heck is what he said here about this? Uh, I got parasite. Can I still find that thing? <clears throat> There's another word there. Uh, I know I read it. Um, I guess some of the things are wrote down. Anyway. Eh, we'll move on. It's good enough to learn a word here, so parasite. This exorcism being finished, the parasite is brought to the altar, over which, at that time, hangs a picture containing the story of James Clement a Dominican friar, with the figures of several angels protecting him and conducting him to heaven. This Clement was accounted a blessed martyr for his barbarous murder of Henry III, the King of France. This picture of this picture the Jesuits show their coli, coli, and at the same time presenting him with a, a, a celestial coronet rehearsed the words, quote, Lord, look down and behold this arm of thine, uh, the executor of thy justice. Let all thy saints arise and give them place to him. Which ceremonies being ended, there are five Jesuits deputed to converse with him and keep the parasite company, who, in their common discourse, make it their business upon all occasions to fill his ears with their divine um, whittles, making him believe that a certain celestial splendor shines on his countenance by the beams whereof they are so over um, overwrought 
as to throw themselves down before him and kiss his feet, that he appears no more a mortal, but is transfigured into a deity. And lastly, in a deep uh, dissimulation, they bewail themselves and feign a kind of envy at the happiness and eternal glory which he is so suddenly to enjoy. Exclaiming thus before the credulous wretch, quote, Would to God the Lord had chosen me in thy stead, and had so ordained it by these means, that being freed from pains of pur- purgatory, I might go directly without let to paradise, end of quote. But if the persons whom they imagine proper to attempt the parricide prove anything squeamish or reluctant to their exhortations, then by nocturnal um, scarecrows and affrighting apparitions, or by the uh, suborned appearances of the Holy Virgin, or some other of the saints, even Ignatius Loyola himself, or some of his most celebrated associates, they terrify the soon-retreat misbeliever into a compliance with a ready-prepared oath, which they force him to take, and thereby they animate and encourage his staggering resolution. These uh, thus, these villainous and impious doctors in the arts of murder and uh, parasite, sometimes by the terrors of punishment, sometimes by the allurement of merit, and inflame the courage of unwary and having entangled them in the groves of sacrilegious and bloody attempts, uh, precipitate both soul and body into eternal damnation. What is a coli? They had a better mastery of language than I did, that's for sure. Coli, coolie, often as a form of address, a man or friend, coolie. Coolie. Noun British, let's see, coolie, coolie, coolie. So it's uh, Merriam Webster has. Merriam Webster has to say. One easily tricked or imposed on coolies, coolies. That's where I heard that before, and I never, never heard it in so long. I think I've heard it in movies before, but I never really heard it in reading. Coolie. Anyways. This is the method by which the Jesuits clear themselves from their enemies. How happy, then, must that nation be where loyalists, (laughs) loyalists, Liola, Liola, loyalists flourish. Loyalists, Liola, loyalists, Liola. Ignatius Loyola, a loyalist. I wonder if there's any connection. I don't know. 
in the hunch, though. Add, add to this the Jesuits' oath, and the peril seems to increase. Quote, I do renounce and disown any allegiance as due to any heretical king, prince, or state named Protestant, or obedience to any of their inferior magistrates or officers, end of quote. Quote, I do further declare that the doctrine of the Church of England, of the Calvinists, the Huguenots, and of others, of the name of Protestant, to be damnable. And they themselves are damned and to be damned that will not forsake the same. Well, they got rid of the Huguenots. They totally took over the, the, the Church of England. And they totally have confused Calvinism. Most people have no idea what Calvinism really is. I've heard all sorts of debates about it, and they make it out to be some wicked thing. It's hyper-Calvinism. How many people actually really spend the time studying Calvinism? Honestly. And I don't mean spending five minutes on the Internet. I mean actually studying Calvinism. By the way, I'm one of those people that hasn't done it. But what I have learned so far, it's starting to really, this whole obsession about Calvinism being something, Calvinism being wicked is little, you know, it's full of BS, basically. That's <laughs> what it comes down to. But as I study, I'm going to do a lot of studying with it, so we'll find out if I'm wrong. But it's not going to be this proving one way or another. I'm just going to study it, and what do they say? So, and unfortunately, it's, it's their history is, is very in-depth, and it's long, and I don't think you can get it figured out, even in a book. And you're definitely going to get that figured out by listening to a debate. I can reassure in that one. And what I've discovered over and over again is that things that I believed in Turn out not to be right. You <laughs> have to be willing to adapt and change. So we'll find out. I never had an issue one way or the other about Calvinism, but maybe I ought to. Maybe I ought to learn about Calvinism. Why the Jesuits are so obsessed about Calvinism? Next quote. I do further declare that I will help assist and advance all and any of its holiness agents. In any place, whatever I shall be, or wherever I shall be, to extirpate the heretical uh, Protestant doctrine and to destroy all their pretended power, regal and otherwise. Okay, the next word to look up, read this word numerous times, and I have, to be honest with you, I haven't really... Look up the definition of it, I just assumed. So, we're going to find out what extirpate means. And for you folks that already know, good. You get an, you get an A+. Plus. <laughs> okay, well, this is what I always assumed it was, to root out, extirpate. But it says, root out, destroy completely. 
So my is, yeah, okay. Knew it all along, so. One out of three, that's not bad. Uh, okay, right, so we got that one next. So the next quote is, I do further promise and declare that notwithstanding I, I am dispensed with to assume any religion heretical for the purpose of promulgating of the mother church's interests to keep secret and provide all and private all her agents counsels from time to time as they entrust me and not to divulge directly or indirectly by words writings and circumstances whatsoever but to execute all that shall be proposed, given in charge, or discovered upon, unto me by you, my ghostly advisor. What is a ghostly advisor, folks? Does anybody know what a ghostly advisor is? And given in charge and discovered unto me by you, my ghostly advisor or any of this sacrament covenant. All this I swear by the blessed trinity and blessed sacrament, which I am about to receive, to perform on my part to keep inviolably and do call all the heavenly and glorious hosts of heaven to witness these my real intentions to keep this my oath. End of quote. Next quote. Of course, you'll find all this, most of this, it looks like, in the Jesuit oath or the extreme also. In testimony where, whereof, I take this most holy and blessed sacrament of the Eucharist and witness the same further with my hand and seal in the Holy Covenant Convent this day of A.D., etc., end quote. This oath evidence that every Jesuit is a traitor to the play. By the way, remember, this was written in 1888. So he didn't get this for some congressional record. They knew it about back then. Apparently it was well understood for a long time. They didn't need a congressional record to know it. But for most of us, we need to see that congressional record of the Jesuit oath, even to start even accepting that it might be kind of real because it's so beyond our comprehension how wicked and evil people are. And as Spurgeon points out, about around the same time, how unanimous evil is in men. How unanimous evil is. How unanimous. Okay, so where were we at? So it permits him to be a hypocrite. So anyway, so, so the oath evidence that every Jesuit is a traitor to the play, ready at any time, any moment to perform any act that will further the interests of his order. It permits him to be a hypocrite to profess religion simply to plot against it and overthrow it. 
the Jesuitism makes the religion a pretense and a sham and plotting and uh, a rascally, rascality, a what's it, rascality, a rascally. I think it's probably say rascality, a business, and yet it runs the Church of Rome. It runs the Church of Rome. So I already recognized back then the Jesuits were running the Church of Rome. Yet most of us in 2015 have no clue that the Jesuits are running the Church of Rome. And it is treated and confirmed in their position by Leo XIII. To answer this question, we must go back to 1868 and to take away the states of the church from the role of the pope was to bring universal crash to the to every European empire. Fortunately, Emperor William had no faith in such prognostication. Prognostication. I'm not saying it right. But I know why. I, I do know why. My tongue st- has stopped working. Prognostication. Prognostication. So, within the Church of Rome was a conflict as to the property of pronouncing the Pope infallible or infallible. Discussions went on throughout the Roman Catholic world. The prophecy of Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, 3 and 4, was to be fulfilled Quote, the man of sin, the son of perdition, end of quote, was to, quote, exalt himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, end of quote. That was fulfilled in A.D. 1870. 200,000 people, really, have born... Uh, Pio Nono, Pio Nono, to his throne in St. Peter's and worshipped him him as God. He is absolute in power. French bayonets uphold his temporal power. It looks as if the Pope was supreme. Open again the word of God in Revelations 17 and 11. And read the doom of Louis Napoleon. Louis Napoleon. All right, the beast that was is Napoleon the first, and is not. For there was time when Napoleonic war was out of sight, and out of mind. <clears throat> All right, well, this is how he sees it, uh, the Revelation 17, 11. And the beast that was was Napoleon. <laughs> I love how nobody can get this when it comes to uh, Revelation and Scripture that nobody can get any of this right. No, There's no consistency, none. And everybody thinks they're right. Every single person I've ever met has got it down pat, 
And here we go again. Now Fulton says here, the beast that was is Napoleon, the first. And who are we to say he's not right? I'm not saying he is, but who are we to say that he is? After all the many voices and all the other interpretations of what 17, who, who this, the beast that was. I think it's safe to say, though, we're talking about the Roman Empire, aren't we? Thank goodness Daniel showed up way, 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 way back and explained that the fourth and final empire would be the Roman Empire. At least we don't have to worry too much about the details. <laughs> Can't seem to get it right. Anyways, Fulton sees the beast that was, and by the way, that doesn't mean that what the 90% of what he wrote in this book isn't true. Uh, when it comes to scriptures and when it comes to revelation and prophecy, I just know uniformity. Unless you join a group, follow a group, and then you just follow the group anyways, and you're not really thinking for yourself independently, no freedom of conscience or thought, you just follow that group. And so you bypass this this person's or somebody else's conjecture or theory. And by doing so, you deny yourself the big picture. And you operate in arrogance. Now, sounding arrogant is not the same as actually being arrogant. Arrogance really is about you think you got it all figured out. It's more of a thinking thing than how you communicate. Anyways, and is not. For there was a time when the Napoleonic power was out of sight and out of mind, after which Napoleon climbed to power, betrayed Massini and uh, Garibaldi or Garibaldi in Italy and became the beast upon which the harlot of Tiber of the Tiber Road quote is the eighth and is the seventh, for it will be remembered, and he built on the Napoleonic dynasty and went to perdition. <clears throat> I met so many people who are so dogmatic about this particular chapter, along with 13 and others, and are insistent that they have it right, and if you don't agree with them, they'll throw you under the bus like it's nothing. You know what? If you really start reading and you still study this stuff, you're going to realize none of us got this right. And if somebody's going to throw you under the bus because they think they do, thank, praise God that they did it. Because they're a BS artist. And they're not intellectually honest. And if they're not intellectually honest, I can't see how the Spirit is actually driving them. The Spirit of God, you know, the way, you know, or, you know, the truth. And the Godhead. It's hard to believe. It's hard to believe that we will just stop talking about with people because of a stupid verse. That it, it, the only thing it demonstrates is 
that person's lack of humility that they can't be honest and realize they really don't know for sure what that verse actually means. Because wiser men than them they come up with different ideas, many different ideas. The general theme in all this, though, is we're talking about the Roman Empire. And whenever you want to put in there, that's great for you. And you know what it tells me? That you would throw somebody under the bus because they don't agree with the way you interpret the Scripture? Is that you're playing God. Absolutely, that's what you're doing. You're playing God. And you're a hypocrite. And you are no better than the Jesuits. But you would unfriend people or unassociate with people because of your great mastery of the Bible. Isn't it fascinating? Anyways, we'll go back to this Napoleonic dynasty and went to perdition. So anyway, so it says <laughs> the eighth and the seventh and is of the seventh. For it will be remembered and he built on the Napoleonic dynasty and went to perdition. And this uh, and this is prophecy. Read a page from history. The minister of France walks in the palace yard of the Emperor William and makes a remark which gives offense. Napoleon had boasted of his powers, prowess, and thought a war only was necessary to make him master of Prussia, as was his uncle before him. And William, or Emperor William, resented uh, the affront and rebuked the speaker. As a result, war was declared, and the German army, as if on a picnic excursion, overran France and camped at Versailles and or Versailles or whatever you want to call it. Versailles or something like that. I never can say that one right either. <laughs> and took possession of Paris and Louise Louis Louise Napoleon or Louis as an exile and disappeared from the affairs of Europe. The army of France went un, was withdrawn, and the army of Victor Emmanuel was invited by the people of the states of the church to enter, um, I think it's supposed to be Rome, but they put it in front of some say Rome, as king of Italy. He came, the pope retired to the Vatican as the spiritual sovereign of the Roman Catholic churches, but as temporal ruler, no more. It was uh, to the Pope a humiliation. Now, let's, when we look at this, the Pope, now you got to read between the lines here, it says the Pope no longer is the temporal ruler. Well, who became the temporal ruler? Oh, that's right, the Jesuits. They're the ones that became the temporal rulers. 
And that white pope that you look at today, just like pope, just like uh, Barack Obama, is nothing more than a puppet. He's a front man. He's a scapegoat. But they always have done. That's what they have always done. They present to you a charade. But you never actually see who actually is running the show. It's kind of like the Wizard of Oz, right? The wizard behind the curtain. And unless you're willing to do do the hard work to find out who the wizard is, you'll never know. You'll believe the illusion. You will. And the funny thing of it is, as I dig away at this, I realize that I am only peeking into, peering behind that veil, that curtain, but I don't even myself see the full picture. I just know that the Jesuits are involved, and that's not the full picture. It's a big enough picture to know that I've been lied to, but it's not the full picture. See how far we know this. It was the Pope. It was to the Pope a humiliation. Oh my gosh, oh, that's so sad. Except it really didn't mean anything back then. Just think about it. Think it through. And perhaps, you know, I know they told us that and we've read about that, but let's think it through. Think it through. I know they said that you know that the, you know that this guy become infallible, right? The godlike. <clears throat> that doesn't mean so, and it doesn't mean that they even mean that, just because it's a piece of paper. Yeah, I'm starting to learn that just because something's on a piece of paper, it only means something if the people reading it say so. And the people enforcing it and the people that believe in that piece of paper say so. What do I mean by that? Well, it's like these people, like let's think about the Supreme Court, these justices that we have, were, you know, they're supposed to be upholding the Constitution, yet they don't really believe in it, and they just think it's a mere piece of paper, and they can change it whatever they want. The same thing as with this church, its hierarchy. What it tells you does not necessarily mean that's what they believe in or that they're going to do. How do we know that? Well, we have hundreds of years of history of them but always breaking their treaties, breaking their papal bulls, breaking their laws. They never maintain what they want. If it's not pertinent, if it's not prudent, they upheld the law, well, they can just change it. Their laws that they give to us are for their benefit, not yours theirs. And if you happen to benefit a little bit because of it, like a trickle-down economics, well, then you might get something out of it, if you're lucky. And if it doesn't, well, that's not their problem. That's your problem. Okay. Here we go. 
So it was to the Pope a humiliation, and perhaps prepares the way for his destruction. Now, it's funny because, you know, one of the things about Fulton back in 1888, he's perceiving that the papacy and the Pope was going to be destroyed. And we hear over and over again, you know what? You know how many hundreds of years now we have been dreaming of the papacy to be destroyed? And every generation of Bible scholars and people are recognized who's really running the show, who are not invited to the club or to the party, realize and hope that the papacy will be destroyed. It never got destroyed. If it was destroyed, it never could have prepared and created World War One or Two, or even the wars in between this period of time that I'm talking about, two, uh, the two world wars. If you're destroyed, if you don't have any temporal power, you can't create wars. You can't do what's necessary to create world wars, let alone a war. It's insane. But so-and-so said so. I read it in a book. It doesn't mean anything. You know what? You have to think it through logically. You can't have two wars. You can't start two wars. You can't start all these uh, revolutions and cons- with their own conspiracies and assassinate the President of the United States and start the Civil War in this country and everything else they did. If you were not existing, you didn't have temporal power. can't happen doesn't matter what they say. You have to look on the ground what actually happened. That is the answer. The answer is not what they say in their paper bulls. The answer is in what they actually do. That's what matters. So it's important to read their paper bulls to see what their mindset is, but understand something. They can change their mind. And as long as they got you convinced that they can't, what a brilliant strategy. You'll think that they're not, they can't do it. It could not be them. How could it possibly be them? They're dead. They don't have any temporal power. Horse Dookie. They were busy taking over a whole freaking hemisphere on this planet. That ain't small business. It's not insignificant. That's not light. In fact, that's more important than if you think about it, they're having absolute control of Western Europe. We're talking a whole hemisphere. Not a part of a continent. We're talking about two continents. Did anybody ever play strategy? Does anybody ever think these through? I don't know. I'm not trying to knock anybody in particular, but you know what? The more and more I hear people and people challenge me on this stuff, the more I realize they're not thinking. They never disappeared. The papacy never died and never lost its temporal power. But we want to think stuff like that, don't we? It's convenient because it makes us feel like we know something. When actually we don't know crap. We don't even we know it. we're outsiders looking in, and you know what? They're just giving us a peek. We don't know what the heck's really going on. Back to this paragraph. And they came. They they be. They became the right arm of his strength. And they're talking about the Jesuits here. So we talk about the Jesuits and the only power in the world in which he could trust to do the work of conspirators, assassins, and revolutionists was the Jesuits. Unfortunately, the Jesuits actually took over the papacy. They took over them, too. Of course, they would do that. Why wouldn't you do that? 
It's the only logical thing that would happen. If the papacy becomes dependent on the Jesuits, what do you do? You say, well, you're dependent on us, and we might as well take over. What do we need you for? And with that, we'll end. And uh, for those who listen, God bless. And next time on part four, we'll do more of that. And that's just the way it is. And you know what? Who's going to listen to the show? I don't know. I had a couple people, but that's about it. Anyways, God bless and take care. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.